Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. I want to start with just a question. Uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? Now, that might seem like an odd question to ask some of you that now, and hopefully that doesn't totally bum you out, like, oh yeah, thank you for bringing that up. My big dreams of being the billionaire astronaut did not come through so strongly. But for some of you guys, uh, you know, for some people, they've always kind of had an idea of what they wanted their life to look like, right? They've always had a clear vision of what what their life was going to look like, and so they, they made plans accordingly. And perhaps that's you, and there's nothing wrong with that. For others, finding that whole purpose thing, it might, maybe it took some time, right? Maybe it took a little bit of failure. Maybe it took some trial and error. And, um, and through different experiences, you have finally figured it out. Or perhaps you're still not totally sure what you want your life to look like. I don't know where you guys are this morning, but the question that that's, I'm sure that's a question that we've all wrestled with at some point. We've all taken time to think about, uh, man, what do I want to be when I grow up? Or we've had people ask us that. I know for me, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't grow up dreaming of being a pastor, and it wasn't actually until my senior year of high school uh, that I started helping out at our junior high ministry at the church I grew up at, where I told myself, yeah, I could do this. But for, 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 those, for most of you guys that now find yourself in adulthood, the question has changed, hasn't it? Instead of, instead of constantly asking ourselves, well, what do I want to be when I grow up, I think the question has become, what's my purpose in life? And so with this in mind, we're starting a new series this week called Chasing Purpose. And for the next three weeks, we're going to spend a little bit of time helping us all chase our purpose as defined by God. But we want to be clear, this is is not a self-help series, right? Because the kingdom of God and our purpose in that kingdom is not about us, but rather, rather finding our purpose in that kingdom in order so that we could serve others, It's about understanding who God calls us to be in order for more to know Christ. And Jesus even reminds us that it is the first that will be last and the last that will be first. And so for many of us, maybe this is more of a chance, more than just a chance to chase chase our purpose, but a chance to redefine what purpose really looks like as well. But there's a tension that I want to spend some time debunking kind of out of the gate. For most people... Your purpose does not equal your profession. Now, maybe you hear that and you're relieved, right? Perhaps, perhaps you're, you're, whatever you do for your job, perhaps whatever you're doing for your career, it doesn't define you. And you're, you're, you're hearing that with a little bit of relief because, man, there's so much pressure for it to. There's so much pressure for, for your job to be your purpose. And so for many of you, maybe you hear that and it's a little nerve-wracking, Perhaps you've invested so much into your profession that your success and your position have become your purpose and identity. Because isn't it interesting that when we think through the answer to what do you want to be when we grow up, we always think of a profession? But there's a fundamental difference in what you do for your job and your career and who you are called to be by God. Now, for sure, I want to pause for just a second. For some people, those two things can align, right? For some of us, it, yes, what we get to do for a living is exactly what God called us to be. And so I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not valid, but I think for other people, it's not so simple. And so I hope for all of us, man, allow this to be a reminder that, that in whatever we do, we can do it all in the name of Jesus and leverage it for the benefit of others something beyond ourselves. 
So I would summarize all this by simply saying this. Your purpose and identity is not defined by your job title. Rather, you have a great purpose defined in Scripture, and the Spirit of God will lead you towards that purpose if you allow it. Because if we've claimed faith in Jesus, if we've chosen to surrender our lives in obedience to Him, then we are allowing God's Word to define our purpose. We allow Scripture to to lead us and to guide us in our lives. And so for those of you that might be sitting here wondering, man, I'm not really sure what my purpose is, let's take a look at what God says. Because as we read Scripture, we can start to find and define our purpose. We can start to see what it looks like. But it ultimately comes down to this, that as disciples and as followers of Jesus, our purpose as Christians is to do good that glorifies God, that that's what we're mandated to do. And this is not just a a simple idea that kind of gets pulled out of a a singular text in Scripture. Galatians 6, 9 through 10, Aaron just read it. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then Titus 2.14, it's talking about Jesus who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Guys, it is so abundantly clear that we are to do good, and the fruit of these good works should be glorifying to God, not glorifying to our names. These good works are not so that we can fill ourselves up. It's not so that we can feel great about ourselves. It's not about making sure that everybody in every room that I walk into knows exactly who I am. It's not about our status, but rather the profiter of my actions is God and God alone. Now, that all might sound nice, but I think this is is where we have to pause and start to ask, what does this practically start to look like? Because you might be asking, well, doing good is pretty subjective, right? And in some senses, yes, Right? Good, it can mean a lot of different things, right? It can mean free from defects, being morally excellent, uh, doing things that are beneficial to others. But only God is good. We all fall short of the glory of God, and we can never be as good as God is. But what we do is we allow the good Father to describe what we ought to do that is good. And so here's what we need, here's what we know. In striving to do good that glorifies God, God has given us what we need to do that. And so now the question becomes, what are we doing with what God has given us? I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to read through one of Jesus' parables. It's in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, and to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. And the man who had received five bags went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. 
But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share with your master's happiness. And the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, and good, and, uh, well done good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And so I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in, in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This teaching comes towards the end of Jesus' ministry. It's actually just in a couple of days after this teaching that Jesus is going to be arrested He's going to be put on trial and sentenced to death. But before all of that happens, Jesus, he retreats to the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And they sit down, and Jesus gave this long narrative that's found in Matthew chapters 24 and 25. It's about the end times and the second coming. But throughout this narrative, Jesus is challenging his disciples on what their life should look like as they wait on his return. And this is not a life that sits and does nothing. Right, it's just, But rather, it's a life that invests and makes preparations for the master's return. You know, this parable, it's also commonly referred to as the parable of the talents. Right now, a talent is not like America's Got Talent, right? <laughs> Although you might love that show. Uh, but rather, in the New Testament, it was a unit of exchange, right? It was, a, it was a sum of something that held value, most likely gold or something like it. But most importantly, when, when a master gave his servants these talents or these, these bags of gold, it, it was gifted with, with this expectation that it was to be improved upon, that you took it and you did something with it. It was not something to be squandered, and it certainly was not something to just be held on to collecting dust. But there are two things that I want you to notice here in this parable. That each person was gifted a different amount, but regardless, they were all gifted. And the master was expecting to reap the reward of that investment. So perhaps you need to be reminded of this this morning. You were gifted for your purpose. And our purpose is to do good that glorifies God. That Jesus, the master, hasn't left us with nothing, right? That if we've placed our faith in Jesus, then we receive several things in return. If we surrender our lives in obedience and place our faith in God, we receive grace, we receive salvation, we receive eternity in heaven, but also we receive the amazing and powerful gift of the Holy Spirit, and as we wait on his return, there is an expectation and a responsibility to do something with that giftedness. 
Now, we don't bury it. We don't bury the gift and wait on his return. We put, it into, we put it to use in a way that glorifies and honors God. And it's because God has entrusted you, and he trusts you to use it. You know, when I was a kid, uh, my dad uh, was like the biggest stickler on stewardship. Like if he stood for something, he stood, for, he stood that we were going to take care of what we have. Right? And so uh, when I was in junior high, my parents, they bought me the worst present a parent could ever buy a kid. They bought me a drum set. <laughs> and man, I, like, I don't know why they did it, right? Because then the, their, it was like their punishment, right? Their, my present was their punishment. Because then for hours, we had this like, uh, this, like sunroom out, out front. For hours on end, I would just bang as loud as I could on these drums, right? And, and this is like when I'm learning how to play drums. And so not only was it like, loud, but it was bad, you know, <laughs> so like, oh, I don't know, I don't know how they did it, they, God bless them, uh, but anyway, so, but my dad, he was such a stickler about stewardship, right, and so he got me this drum set, and he would, I could just, I could still hear him, Garen, get out there and clean that drum set, because he expected me to take care of it, right, in my junior high self, I'd just drag my feet, oh, God, this is so terrible, like, I don't want to take care of the drums, I just want to play the drums, right, like, this is so boring, but if he didn't get on me about taking care of this gift, what would happen? Right, that they would, they would get rusty, right? They'd get ruined. I wouldn't be able to utilize the gift for that much longer. And guys, the same is true in our giftedness that we receive from God. It carries a level of responsibility. It's like the teacher or the coach that sees so much potential in a kid, right? And so what do they do? They go to the parent and they say, oh, man, your kid is so gifted. Your kid has so much potential. Can we get him on the team or can we continue to get him to study, right? Because that giftedness, man, it'd be such a waste if it never got utilized. And guys, God has gifted us with the Holy Spirit. And there is too much goodness there to be wasted, that you and I, that we, we have this, this potential in us to do good and to glorify God that so often goes wasted or untapped. Because what happens? That we get in the way. That we become obstacles. We start to build up these questions in our heads of what is a good thing or how much good is this thing going to actually do? And so we start comparing our, our good works to the good works of others, and we tell ourselves, wow, man, that person there, they did so much good. How crazy is that? And my, my little act of good over here, it, what, what big of a difference did it really make? Guys, I get it. This is hard to do. It's hard not to compare because all the things that typically get highlighted are the big, is the big stuff, Right, that, that we usually highlight and place emphasis on these big, amazing, uh, good acts. And so, so many times, these small little things that we do, they just seem insignificant. You know, as a church, uh, in the years past, we've partnered with the Tim Tebow Foundation for what's called the Night to Shine. And it is just an amazing event where we get to show the love of Jesus to people with special needs. And we are one host site of many that are all around the world. Now, do not misunderstand me. I'm, I'm not downplaying the night to shine. It is one of the most amazing nights of the year. It's one of my favorite events that my wife and I serve at. But I think what happens is we see like these big grandiose events and we see these big acts and we're like, wow, look how much good that does. And we allow this great thing to squash these other things that we try to do. 
So it's not, it's not a good versus bad, but I think we just we start comparing ourselves. Be like, well, I can never do that, and so I'm just, I'm just not going to try. But notice in this parable, the master doesn't compare the servants to one another. He doesn't look at the servant who was given two bags and be like, well, you did okay, but I bet if you tried harder next time, you could catch up to the guy that has ten bags. That's not what happens. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You did exactly what you were supposed to do with what I have given you. And so, guys, don't get caught up in the rat race of, well, I can't do as much as that person can. They just, well, that person, they just have more resources than I have. And so I can't make that big of a difference, so why try? Instead, be faithful with what you have been given. Steward your giftedness and resources and do good that glorifies God. First Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11 explains what this should look like. Starting with verse 10, it says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That whatever gifts you have, steward them well. Use them so that God will be praised. Because whether we know this or not, we all have received both spiritual and earthly gifts to do good. We all have stuff that can be leveraged for glorifying God. So think, think about your house, right? Think through your homes. You don't have to have some mega mansion to be able to invite somebody over for dinner, right? We don't have to have this massive house in order to just have a few people over for a meal and to show them the love of Jesus. Think of your jobs. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what position you hold. You can show people the love of Jesus. You can encourage your coworkers, Think of your friendships. Are you holding one another accountable? Are you serving together? And perhaps you're in a position where you do have a lot of resources. Perhaps you're in a position to make a difference with your money. Are you choosing to be generous with what you have? Guys, there are so many earthly things and resources that we all have that can be leveraged to do good that glorifies God, no matter how great or how small. Are we leveraging what we have? And then we have to address our spiritual gifts. Remember, we have earthly and spiritual giftedness. These are gifts that you might possess as a result of the Holy Spirit living in you. And so here are some things that Scripture tells us that we might be gifted with. Might have prophecy, preaching, knowledge, service, hospitality, teaching, faith, encouragement, miracles, helps, discernment, giving, administration, evangelism, leadership, wisdom, to be a pastor or a shepherd, and mercy. Guys, I don't, I don't know what your giftedness is, but we have to identify it, right? I mean, how are we supposed to utilize it and grow in it if we don't even know what it is? Because this should help you do what's best for the body of Christ. Because God is not going to consider how well you fulfilled your purpose on how good of a sermon you can preach, right? If you don't, if you don't have the gift of teaching, then that is not your baseline of doing good that glorifies God, it's kind of like how Einstein described it. You don't judge a fish on its ability to, to climb a tree. But rather, we find our giftedness 
and we steward that gift well. It doesn't matter if you can't preach. It doesn't matter if you can, can't lead worship. Find what your giftedness is and then utilize it for the kingdom of God. Because what happens far too often is, man, we, we, we don't utilize our gifts. For whatever reason, we don't use the gifts that we've been given. And perhaps it's because maybe, maybe you don't know what your giftedness is. And so what happens is we, we become passive and we justify our passivity and claim ignorance. Perhaps it's because we start comparing our gifts to one another and so we justify our passivity because we view our giftedness as less than somebody else. Perhaps it's we justify our passivity out of fear of failure. Well, it's better to be safe than to try and fail. Perhaps we, we justify our passivity with a, with a half-hearted attempt or something and we say, well, I tried that once. It didn't go very well and so I must not be gifted in it. Guys, I'm telling you right now, my first sermon ever, my first sermon ever, my first sermon ever, and apparently this one, was terrible. <laughs> right? I mean, when I first started to preach, I did not have this craft molded very well. I still don't very well, but I'm working on it. Right? And so, but we justify our passivity, be like, well, I tried that and it just didn't go well, so I just won't try again. Or maybe we justify our passivity by our own selfishness. God, that's just too hard. God, that's just, that's just too uncomfortable. I'm not going to do that. Or I don't know how to do that, so I just won't try. Perhaps we, we justify our passivity because we think, man, what good is it really going to do? It's not going to make that big of a difference, and so why try? Guys, whatever your reason is, can I just say we have to stop making excuses and justifications and start identifying our gifts, using our gifts, and growing in our giftedness. But here's what this all comes down to. I am here to encourage you all with this. You have gifts. You are called to be responsible with those gifts. But isn't that awesome? I mean, the sovereign creator of the universe, that whenever we stepped into a relationship with him, he saw fit to give you a set of giftedness in order to help you fulfill your purpose, in order to help you do good, in order to help you glorify God. And whenever we go to do things in the name of Jesus, we don't do them alone. I think far too often we get into this place where we start to, we start to get scared and fearful of like, well, I don't really want to talk to that person about Jesus because I don't know what to say. And maybe, maybe you don't, and you need to make those preparations. I'm not saying just walk into situations blindly, but when we walk into situations, know that you're not walking alone, that you carry the Holy Spirit with you. You carry the exact giftedness that God wants you to have. And man, we got to start using it. So church, don't shy away from this. Don't get overwhelmed because I promise you, you can figure this out. There are so many resources available to help you figure out what your giftedness is. And so don't let passivity and laziness get in the way of you recognizing exactly what God has gifted you with in order to serve the kingdom of God. So I want to ask two questions for you to reflect upon this morning. There's two questions for doing good that glorifies God. 
So maybe you need to jot these down, or you can take, uh, hopefully you got grabbed those pieces of paper or on your app, you've got the sermon notes with you. But the first question is, what have I been gifted with? That's where we have to start. What have I been gifted with? When I look through spiritual gifts, and you can Google it right now or later, you can Google a list of spiritual gifts. There's spiritual gifts assessments and tests all online for free. It doesn't matter. But what have I been gifted with? And then the second question is, what should I be doing with my gifts? You know, we talk a lot around here about getting plugged in and serving. Start utilizing your gifts. And if you have the gift of hospitality, join our, join our guest team. Aaron Finnelon would love to talk to you about that. But whatever your giftedness is, what is it and what should you be doing with it? But guys, these gifts that we're talking about that help us fulfill our purpose in the kingdom of God, they're not free. We receive them freely right, by placing our faith in Jesus, but they all came at the cost of the life of Christ. But even though they came at a great cost, they are gifted with a great sense of joy. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it's talking about Jesus. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Guys, Hebrews 12, 2 reminds us that that there was a joy set before Jesus as he endured the cross. And the prize of Calvary is a gift, right? The prize of Calvary is the gift of a relationship that God wants us to have, that God wants to be in a relationship with you and I. And so guys, I don't know where you are this morning. But we've spent a whole lot of time talking about our purpose in the kingdom of God. But it all starts here. It starts by placing our faith in Jesus. And so if you've not done that, then I encourage you and ask you to do that. I don't know where you guys are this morning. But man, God desperately wants to have a relationship with you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross. And Jesus, man, he endured the cross for us, but he did it with joy. And now we can enter this relationship with God. But man, may we all understand our obedience. May we all recognize our giftedness. And as we chase our purpose, may we start utilizing exactly what God has gifted us to do for that purpose. Would you guys stand this morning as we continue to worship?